Welcome to Just in the Nick of Time, a podcast with completely normal intros to get right into what we're supposed to talk about. So, <laughs> don't take 40 minutes. Um, yeah, muscle relaxers, man, they are kicking in. I don't know if you can tell by the 15 minute Savannah Bananas rant we went on, but uh, yeah, they're working. I feel pretty good, so that's nice. I, I don't know if it's concerning that uh, I didn't really feel a difference from what we typically do on this podcast from those. I feel like normally we're both trying at like 20% to drive the bus in a reasonable direction. And when you remove my 20% effort on that, it, yeah, it goes a little off the rails. <laughs> well, speaking of rails, we played Purdue and... uh Two weeks ago. Two weeks, three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. So there's a bye week in between. And what are called bye weeks? I like bye weeks. No, I like bye weeks. I'm just, why is that, like, why don't we call it an off week? Wow. Wow. Deep stuff today. That reminds me of, like, one of the, my favorite RCFB post of all time, which was somebody said, when I was a kid, I, I thought Bive was stood for Brigham Young East, and I got really excited for that game on the schedule. That was a joke we had in debate, is that I've never dropped around to Brigham Young East. Ah, so that's been making the rounds a while. It's an easy school, but... You, you, know, you think someone would do that, just go on Reddit and tell lies? You know... Never. Uh, Never. I would be particularly shocked if someone who purchases their new verified checkmark. Yeah, oh, I was meaning to text you that too and be like, oh, you had a good run. I did, I really did. I am sure it's not paying $20 a month. Oh, it's down to eight now. I'm not paying eight. (laughs) Because it's stupid, and now everyone's going to make fun of them. More so than they already do. Like, I already have a baseline policy of a... If somebody with a verified checkmark is telling a story about their life, it's false. Sorry, Nick. But, Justin, what you don't understand is that my five-year-olds <laughs> said that Mickey Joseph is the greatest coach of all time. And that if Nebraska don't keep him, we've failed our responsibility to the taxpayers and to God. And if you don't agree with a five-year-old you've never met, you don't have a conscience. That's the other crazy thing is like, they're like, this is such a God tier end of the argument. Like just going to get this last jab in it and it'll all be over. And it's like, no man, why are you consulting your five-year-old about politics or sports or like <laughs> my five-year-old who kisses a Kobe Jersey goodnight every night says Tom Brady's still the greatest player in any sport of all time. So we should all probably believe that. Why are they so unfair to him? <laughs> that's that's my favorite hypothetical kid is like the kid who understands like complex concepts of like society ostracizing somebody and but just has the worst takes about it at the same time. Yes. God. I I hope those kids are real. Cause I want to watch them crash and burn in the next twenty years. I want to watch every kid who's always, who, who's ever been quoted by their parent on Twitter. Yeah. Turn out. Screw, screw gifted kid discourse. I want child of verified account discourse in like 15 <laughs> years. <laughs> my whole life was ruined because of my dad's blue check. <laughs> oh my God. That's funny. That is good. So, so enjoy it, Nick. Now I'm, every, I'm going to soak up every last minute of it for the next, what, it's supposed to take like 90 days until they actually go away. I don't think it's that, knowing Elon, it's not actually going to happen. Really? I hope, I hope not. I like my blue check. It makes, it reminds me I'm better than other people. (laughs) That's a good feeling. (laughs) He says a lot of things. And I'm going to leave it at that. Well, this is a sports podcast. So speaking of sports, Mickey Joseph, Justin, let's let's just view the last two games from a coaching perspective, because that's all that matters at this point this year. Yeah, really. That that's all we 
That's all we have to look forward to is a, a hopefully beating the worst Iowa team since we've joined the Big Ten, and B seeing if Mickey Joseph's got any juice for the corn. So the Purdue and Illinois losses were very similar due to solely the fact that they were so different. Because in Purdue, the offense had one of its best days ever, but the defense could not stop anything. I can't even think of a metaphor because anything I come up with would not be accurate as to just how incompetent they were at stopping the Purdue offense. Yep. But then the Illinois game, the defense held up their end of the bargain, but then the offense not only left points on the board back when the game was still close, it dried up in the sun like a raisin, a dead fish, and other things that dry up in the sun. When Casey Thompson got hurt, But realistically, unless Casey Thompson started making some throws, we weren't going to do anything in that game anyways. And he had about a 20% success rate on throws that he should have hit. From what I could gather. I did not actually watch this. I listened to it on the radio. Yeah, no, I mean, and you can can have the little argument if you want about how much of that is Casey's fault and how much of it is his targets and how much of it is... It is his O-line, but when you're looking at an offensive unit, if you're not completing passes, it's got to fall somewhere. I think a lot of it this weekend was that Illinois is a physical team defensively. Casey took a couple big hits before he even went down hurt for real. And I think he knew what was coming, and then it came. Yeah. He's been on again, off again, hurt for a while, like, I really think that Nebraska will just turn any quarterback we get into Adrian Martinez behind the sideline, line. And not like the new good Adrian Martinez, the... The old hurt Adrian Martinez. The old hurt Adrian Martinez. So until the line is fixed, anybody we throw out there ceiling is Adrian Martinez. And, like, we've had conversations about whether it's a talent thing or whether it's a sort of, like, you know... If it's a, I don't think it's a motivation issue. If no. is, it a, is it a learning problem that they're not able to improve? Is it that there's no one qualified? To, like there's no good O line coach anywhere on this staff? That seems very plausible to me. I I, w- I would definitely say the, say the latter because not only did these boys have a four years of the Scott Frost machine, which uh we saw how that turned out for this program, then they got the Scott Frost trying to save his job hire, which was some assistant for the Bears who was related to some guy who used to play here who has a cousin who's a five-star quarterback recruit who did not commit here. That sounds like us. Yeah. And boy, wouldn't you know, that didn't exactly improve the unit. And that's who Mickey's stuck with. And when you can't do anything up front, you can't win a Big Ten football game. Yep. Nope. It's that simple. It's hard because there's just not much to talk about with these games other than we sucked. And we sucked in different areas, and we sucked for different reasons. Um, Like, the Illinois defense wins the Purdue game. The Purdue offense wins the Illinois game. But for very different reasons, those two cannot be on the field at the same time. Because our opponents had completely different strengths. I, I think the offense's success against Purdue was more of the fact that Purdue was not good against the pass defensively. And I think the offense's struggling against Illinois was the fact that Illinois is very good defensively. I don't think it's just this unit plays differently week to week. I think it's the team that was in front of them changed so drastically on both ends of the ball that there was no other way these games can go and that the Purdue offense is just the offense and the Illinois defense is just the defense that this team has. They just play different teams. Yep. Nope, I agree. I think that um, college football is about finding a way to win and preventing the other team from finding a way to win. I think in both cases, we had the talent to be in those games. I'm not mad at the play calling anymore. I think Whipple has figured out what he wants to do here. I think Mickey is willing to work with that. 
I think the special teams look a lot better. Um, but we're not able to, like, put together a win in an at all difficult, because you can't convince me, you cannot convince me that we don't have the same talent level as Illinois and Purdue. These are games that get won and lost on coach caliber. Mm-hmm. If you if you are a decent caliber coach, you should be able to win those games. And I genuinely think it should not take you months and months and years and years to build a program that is capable. Now, Mickey Joseph and his staff are in a tight spot, have been in a tight spot, but they had a week off in between these games. And we looked worse against Illinois than we did against Purdue. Right, Illinois and is better. Illinois is better, but how much better? I guess we'll find out pretty soon. It's either this week or next week where they play, but right now I'd have Illinois far ahead of Purdue in the town. Like, if Illinois didn't hiccup in the last two minutes against Indiana, week zero, we're talking undefeated top ten Illinois right now. Yeah, that's fair. I think the other thing that's worth thinking about from an, from a Husker perspective is like, did we look better against Purdue or did we look better against Illinois? Generally. I'd say Purdue. I agree. I think we took a step backwards and I think that's really, really telling. Listen, it is early still in this coaching search. In fact, I'm going to make people mad just by saying that. Because I think we have to address the elephant in the room, which is that Mickey Joseph has been gaining speed as future coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers week over week over week, even through the losses. Yeah, it has dwindled since the losses, but amongst the fan base, I'd, I still think he's the lead pick. That terrifies me me for the future of this program, what people are already willing to settle for. Because I think, yeah, that telling of your statement is perfect. Because I don't think Trev, if he does land on Mickey, is going to do it because it's what the fans want. I think it's because everyone above him told him no. That's scary. But it also feels like a very real proposition. Yeah, I... I can see it happening. But given that, you know, Trev's not given us nothing, as he should, given that anybody we're likely going to hire is currently employed. Yep. So. (laughs) But now, he's got to compete with Auburn. He's got to compete with Wisconsin, maybe. Like, there is a chance that the guys, whoever's high on the list, like go somewhere else or tell us no. That's a real possibility. I don't know likely because I don't know the type of money we're playing with here. I don't know what's on the top of these coaches' minds, but I do think the temperature of the fan base and to a lesser extent the media is that we are treating this half of the season like it's an audition for the head coaching job has a very real chance of paying off for him despite the obvious regression in the Illinois game that did not change. And given that the tune did not change, I think there is some truth to the fact that this is more likely than we think, regardless of what happens on the field and that this is a guy we know we can get. That, And I think that like, is, is Trev like, consulting Bill from Hastings when he makes this decision? No, he's not. But is he thinking in the back of his mind what is Bill from Hastings going to think about this? I promise you he is. Yes, but again, that that only matters if I am certain there are people above Mickey Joseph on Trev's list. And if all of them tell him no to where he gets to a coach where it's him and Mickey are about equal to the point where Bill from Hastings is the swing vote, then yeah, it matters. I agree with you. But I'm gauging how controversial I want to be, but I think people can already tell what I'm thinking. I don't think Mickey's the guy. 
Oh, we said that last episode. I don't know why it feels harder to say now, even though he's proved proved us more correct. I like Mickey a lot. I like that we have a coach that can give a press conference. I like that we give a, we have a coach that I'm confident is showing up to practice. I like all of those things about Mickey. The fact of the matter is, though, I there's a rumor today that we we briefly touched on before the podcast that he's connected to Arizona State. I think a place like Arizona State makes a lot of sense for Mickey. If and I think wanting head coaching jobs from here on out because he's had this opportunity makes a lot of sense for Mickey. What I don't think makes any sense for Mickey is trying to give him a full-time Big Ten coaching job when we're seeing right now that we're, we're watching regression. And that's now sure. Better teams are going to make teams look worse. And I'm not some sort of college football schwami. And it's a very small sample size. Up to this point, right? But if he if he sees this year as an audition, which he's basically admitted, I have the best interview I could possibly ask for. Damn, man. This week was bad, and there's not much explanation. I think he had to get one of the two of Illinois or Purdue. Because looking at the schedule ahead, I was the most likely win. Wisconsin... Depends on which Wisconsin shows up, but I'd be willing to bet they're in prime form late November, more likely than not. Minnesota could be a win, but given that we are almost certainly rolling into that with a Casey at 40%, Logan Smothers or Chubba Purdy, and I hope to God it's Smothers of those three options, because Chubba Purdy did the opposite of impress. Yeah. It was dog Yeah. It's it's what you would expect from a guy named Chubb Purdy. His brother was so good. I don't I don't get it. Yeah, because people aren't their siblings, man. I, when is the sports world gonna realize this? Everybody watched Moneyball and was like, "Oh, Jeremy Giambi made up for Jason Giambi for the Oakland Athletics one year." So obviously, all siblings are exactly the same. We had a McCaffrey brother, who I will add is thriving at wide receiver at Rice. Yeah, good for him, right? We are obviously going to squander talent, but he's not as talented as his brother. No, but it's like, you think the next Florida State player, a player who was good enough that a program who can get a five-star most years wanted him, who has a brother who was a very successful four years, perhaps the most successful quarterback in Iowa State history, this side of Seneca Wallace. You'd think there'd be something more than legitimately bottom of the barrel. Mm-hmm. Like, we're at the point where I'm sure the potential's in, in there somewhere with Chubba. But give me, like, the walk-ons over him. Like, <laughs> no, I agree. I, um, with Casey being hurt, um... There's no way we beat Minnesota. No. If he's ready to go, even if it's 60% instead of 40%, I feel better. Because here's the other thing. He didn't practice today. Minnesota's going to know that. PJ Flex, say what you will about the guy, is a competent coach. He's going to recognize that he doesn't need likely to prepare for a full-strength Casey Thompson, which makes your prep a lot easier this week. The playbook is maybe a quarter the size this thick when you've got your RPO sort of like triple threat quarterback down for the count. Yes, because while Casey's throws have this season have left something to be desired, he is light years ahead of what Smothers or Purdy can do with their arm. Yep. Like, you have to shift your entire offensive game plan to play to the strengths of those two quarterbacks. And of the two, I think Smothers is the better runner and thrower, unless what Mickey says is 100% truthful and it's just nerves with Chubba. And once he knows what he's doing, he'll be good. Unless that's somehow truthful after what we've seen from him, which is... 
I think more interceptions than completions. Don't quote me on that, but that's what it feels like. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. Like, give me Smothers, because he wasn't, like, incredible against Iowa last year, but he at least didn't die. I think Smothers is a little bit more experienced, a little bit more capable. It's bleak. I I am shocked and appalled by the lack of football IQ in the general Husker fan base right now. You say that, like, I'm still excited about this. Because why? Why? Okay, the wide receivers look better than they have in years. Definitely. Oh, go ahead. I think it's okay to be excited about the future, given that we have seen talent on this team. Yes, be excited about the future. Yes. Be excited about this team with an O-line. Be excited about this team with a healthy quarterback. And most of all, be excited about this team with a competent head coach. Yes. But right now, we're not seeing vital signs from all three of those things right now. Pretending like we are and allowing and, – and I'm honestly, I am more upset. And listen, I've worked with some of the people who are in the Husker Media Corps. I think they're all smart, intelligent people. I'm sure they know more than I do. And I also recognize that they have a – how does one phrase this well? Any person reading Husker Media has to recognize the relationship with the which the Husker Media has with the athletic department. If you don't recognize that, you are deluding yourself yeah. about what is actually coming out of Husker Media right now. Like, just see everything that happened the week of Scott's firing. All the tea that was spilled for all my Gen Z folks out there. Yep. Like, We're a Gen Z-friendly podcast. We are. This is Zoomers are welcome here. We are. Are we Zoomers? We are Zoomers. I mean, I yeah. I Millennials saw, cuts off at ninety five. I think. I saw a thing that that argued that folks between um, nineteen ninety five and two thousand should be in their own category. Zillennials, I've heard. I I hear that. I heard a name for us that that should be only repeated off the podcast. Um, but it's basically like you don't have functional memory of 9-11 uh, but at the same time there's no point at which there weren't constantly phones around Um, yeah I've uh, I've heard I, I don't really like tying it to this certain piece of technology but I do think that this is a useful generationology thing is uh, the generations that uh, remember a time before an iPhone generations that had a cell phone before there was an iPhone, and the generations that have only known there being an iPhone. I remember the BlackBerry years. Yep. I I remember the time before the iPhone where the coolest thing a phone could do was change color on the outside case. Our, our like, first grade art teacher had that, and, like, we were, like, floored. as like, whoa, you can press it and it changes color. Yeah. <laughs> This is the most innovative thing a Motorola can ever possibly do. Yep. I think that that's our, our spot. And I also think that it's, it's worth talking about the generational divides in, because here's the other thing. Absolutely no shade to older generations for this. This is a function of reality that I am about to discuss. If any boomer happens to watch this, listen to this and and wants to come at me, feel free, I guess, but I am saying I am not coming at you at the start. Here's what I will say. We are the most media literate generation ever. Ever. And we are... We have our flaws. We absolutely have our problems. But what I'm saying, the amount of information we are able to consume and process from the internet is simply higher. And the amount which we are open to actually hearing is higher. Again, I don't know which generation beats us, but if we're the best it gets, it's not looking good. It's it's nasty, right? Yeah. But I see a lot less young people excited about this team than I do baby boomers who are like, okay, cool, path back to the 90s. That's all I needed to hear. Yeah. And I, I think that's talent. 
I really do. Again, it's not shade. It's just that we're all in different levels of media literacy and different, different like spheres of information. And if you only read what's coming to you from the journal star about Mickey Joseph, I could see a world where you're still pretty high on Mickey Joseph. And if you are from a certain age and about a certain disposition about what a football coach is. He's checking the boxes. He's checking, he's checking those boxes. And I wonder if Mickey doesn't know that on a certain level, he's doing what's important in his audition. And that what's important in his audition is, and I, I don't know this, I don't know what Ted's criteria are, but it makes you wonder if Mickey says, I'm going to focus on having better explanations for losses. I'm going to focus on recruiting for the future, which clearly doing an excellent job of. And I don't have to deliver this year to get the job. It's the other factors that are more important and more, more easier for him to reach. Ooh, that is interesting. I like, that was a great tie at the end there where you, Connecting your tangent to the initial point. That was awesome. Uh, but that is very interesting. I haven't really thought of it like that too much where if he nails the audition off the field, the on the field product, which was probably not that salvageable to begin with because Purdue is the game, only game this year that we're going to likely lose, depending on what happens Black Friday, that I think we should have won. Yep. But still, I think Purdue was the better team. And the better team more often than not wins. Yep. So if he nails all the the off-the-field stuff and only loses to teams that are better than Nebraska? I don't know how other people feel about this way of viewing college football. But it is a tried-and-true method for me for figuring out the closest I can to somebody's motivations. This is not true in some places, I will say. We will call this the Iowa discrepancy. In a place where a head coach doesn't have a boss and has no one to answer to, Iowa, Alabama, schools of that ilk. And it's not like I'm comparing those two football teams, but I'm comparing the setup of leadership there, right? When you cease to be an employee, this isn't true. But I, I, I have never coached football in any capacity. I have, in fact, been an employee. And I have, in fact, been an employee who needs to explain things to their employer when they go wrong. If you said, here is the situation I was handed. Here are the times where I tried to make stuff work. It didn't work out for circumstances outside my control. But here is a track record of how I improved everything within my control markedly. No reasonable employer is able to say, well, I think that was a failure. And so, with Nikki being on the in, with, with, he, he's on the inside track, right? All he has to do is say, "I did everything within my power and control." Those things improved, right? Yep. I'm not. I think Mickey can very reasonably say, "I'm not no line coach, and I don't have an O line coach." Expecting my O line to get better throughout the year is ridiculous, because. That is not my position. Now, here's how we tried to play call around it. Here's how we tried to strategize with our quarterbacks. Here's what I told Casey, and he'll tell you that I told you this. If I am evaluating Mickey Joseph for an extension within a position, all of that is going to be more important to me. And I think this is interesting because Trev said, we are hiring a firm for this search. Trev clearly views himself as the CEO and owner of Nebraska Athletics. If you can walk the business talk with Trev, which obviously Scott was never able to do, because here's the other thing. Scott demands that contract thing in writing, which is why that all came out a week ago. Because Trev understands we don't want to write this down or it can come out in a FOIA request someday. Scott decides to push him on that. I think that's a critical moment of lost trust with Scott Frost. Trev says, I can't work with this guy because he doesn't understand the level that I'm operating on. If Mickey can prove that, because that's the other thing. Mickey's a replacement. So find out why the other guy's not here 
and fix that. And understand that it is about way more than how many wins or losses that you have. It is about how the program looks. Wow. That's very true. It's like, I think the only way that, the only counter argument I have to that is that college football coach is not a normal job. You, Mm -hmm. you are frequently asked to go above and beyond the workplace requirements or you're still, and even in some cases, you're still fired if that's the case. So if, if there is an employee out there who wants to come here who can very reasonably given a track record, take this program to a better place than it currently is, given the future prospects of it being higher rather than I have functioned all of it and not done anything wrong to tank it worse. I think that gets out, but that goes back to my first point. Those hires are going to have to tell Trev no. And and that's where this all ends in the balance of if Mickey's the coach, because I think you've convinced me that uh, more so than I already was that his on-field performance really doesn't matter too much, provided he beats Iowa. Because Iowa is the one team in the Big Ten on our schedule who's a bigger mess than us right now. If he beats Wisconsin, that's also like that's that's an even bigger bonus. Oh, but, oh! If if he gets any win that's not Iowa, that's huge. Iowa should be the bare minimum. If if he flubs Iowa, then thank you for everything you've done. But there's nothing I can we can do. You've lost your last six or whatever. If Mickey loses out, he's out of the conversation. Absolutely. He's got to get one more. And Minnesota with a hobbled Casey at best, or the shattered remains of Logan Smothers and Chubba Purdy, whatever Franken offense can cook up there. Michigan, lol. Wisconsin, 10% chance that they're beatable, but unlikely. Iowa. It's on the road. It's on Black Friday, which there is not a day in sports I have been this excited for in a while. The greatest sports day of my lifetime only had like a thing go right for one of my teams. Black Friday has a chance for the most satisfying victory in a decade for regular season victory in a decade for three of teams that I follow. Nebraska could snap the Iowa curse. Nebraska volleyball could snap the Wisconsin curse. And if the U.S. somehow beats England in the World Cup, I will take one of the three as a great day. Two of the three might actually make it the greatest sports day ever. Three of three? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm ear to ear smiling just thinking about it. That would be good. All right, y'all. Editing Justin here. What you're about to hear is actually the first intro we tried for this podcast but uh we got off track when talking about husker football and just never got back on track so i decided to make this the second half of the episode instead of the first so yeah first off hello everybody welcome to just in the nick of time it is me doing the intro this time and uh since we last left uh nebraska this should come as a massive shock to the followers of the football team, is no longer tied for the lead in the Big Ten West Division, the Big Ten Best Division, after losing two division favorites, Purdue and Illinois, in very similar but different ways. Against Purdue, the offense was humming like a whistle, or whistling like a hummer, if you want to spoonerize that simile. Do hummers whistle? I don't know. I, I, I think I flubbed the first analogy, so I just kind of tried to save it on the back end, and I'm that just a, made it worse. Not a technician regarding, yes, Hummers, but I, I would like it if they whistle. That would be funny. Just yeah. like, cars should whistle when they're like running well, like they're happy, and they just whistle a happy tune. Like, it's the, like, if you go, like, two weeks without the check engine light going on, on the 14th day, you get a little, like, 
It'll wish you, whistle you a little ditty from Bach. <laughs> Beethoven. This is a brilliant idea. Like, screw, like, insurance discounts. The car itself should reward you with, like, a positive affirmation. Like, the dashboard just lights up into a thumbs up. I think that would be, so I've been watching old F1 races today. Uh, I, I, so F1 is on my brain. Expect F1 thoughts and analogies throughout the pod, ladies and gentlemen. I think it would be super dope if, like, every time you pass the start finish straight, it just played like a little Maytag washer, like, do 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 Or, or that Mario Kart. Yeah, especially for the last lap. Yeah. And then it just plays the F1 theme really fast. And speaking of last laps, did you see what Ross Chastain did in the NASCAR oh car? God, I meant to say that we should talk about that today. No. Yeah, let's lead with that. Screw, screw football. This was the most impressive thing that will happen in any sport for the next 30 years. Oh my God. It was so good. It was just otherworldly. And like, so again, I watch F1. That is a very dainty ass racing series. Right, compared to NASCAR, you can run NASCARs into things. And boy, oh boy, did Ross Chastain explain that in full detail and then execute. I can't believe they, it was some Ricky Bobby issue, man. Yeah. The, the fact that he credited his inspiration for trying that to playing NASCAR 2005 as a kid and just wondering if it would work in real life on the last lap of a race that decides his chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, the fact that, like, if someone had pulled that in a random race in, like, Iowa in, like, the early season when it didn't matter as much and it was just for points, that would have been awesome. The fact that on the second half of the last lap, and this circuit has, it's a small circuit, it has, like, 30-second laps. Mm -hmm. The fact that Within that amount of time, they can say, do you want to do something quasi-suicidal? Yeah, that's the other thing. If that goes wrong, there's a very high chance that he gets seriously injured and that he seriously injures other people. The fact that he trusted himself, I mean, you could, like, honestly, I would not be mad at someone who says that was really cool. I think they should make a rule, which also would be super in keeping with NASCAR and all of motorsport. Because most rules are named something along the lines of the Fernando Alonso, please never do this again rule. Yes, the the analogy I saw was a Kenny Pickett's fake slide from the ACC championship game last year where objectively awesome, but you, you can't encourage people to do that again. No, that should never happen again. And that should be the moment where we say, well, we have to like make this a rule now. Which, like, that is good. That is how rules and regulations are supposed to work, especially ones regarding safety and fairness. Like, we didn't know anyone could possibly do this. It's time to make sure it doesn't happen again. (laughs) Because, again, if he messes up at all in that process, people get seriously injured. Careers maybe end. Certainly, like, people who deserve the amount of points they were going to get don't get those points. You know? Yeah, we're, we'll never see something that cool again on a NASCAR track. I, <laughs> uh, I mean, there have been, this is sort of NASCAR's niche for me is like, I don't watch NASCAR because most of the races are not that compelling to me. And I, I am also like having been initiated into motor, motorsport primarily through watching the Indy 500 every year. Uh, like a, like sometimes I will watch Daytona but I am not, like, committed to it, but mostly through Formula One. The the racing's just not as pure. It's not as, like, clean and technical. This is what NASCAR is for, though. Like, moments like this where just... Or, like, also, headlines, baby. Like, the week before in NASCAR, Bubba got out of his car and just, like, he he makes a move that is objectively terrible. I don't understand how anyone can defend him making that move in any motorsport because he was just out for blood. He manages to not kill the other driver, decides to get out of his car and try and finish the job with his hands. (laughs) Do do fisticuffs ever come out in F1 proper? 
they, they have, like, it's not unheard of in the history of the sport. It is not a thing that has happened in recent years. Uh, there's been, like, some shoving matches. But uh. nothing, nothing compared to, like, I'm going to get out of my car and I'm going to immediately jump you. Which happens in NASCAR, like, twice a year. Because, like you said, this is a this is a genre of racing where uh, wrecking people is not explicitly encouraged, but, like, you can do it and, like, go to sleep knowing that that wasn't technically attempted murder. Yeah, like, NASCAR doesn't have as robust a system, for what I understand, of giving out, like, penalty points. Like, a couple of the drivers in F1 right now are like, if you get in one big crash, you can't race with us for two years. Which is, you know, you will never be in F1 again if you get in that kind of trouble. Um, now, for good drivers, they do tend to have a policy where they will bend the rules for you. Um, for mediocre to bad drivers, that's not the case. But I think what made Bubba's thing so special is he did it, and then he instigated the fight. Like, normally, it, it's a lot like other sports, where normally it's like, all right, man, you pushed me off the road, you did something I thought was unfair, so I'm going to come, or like in hockey, you shot on my keeper after an offside call, so I'm going to go mess you up. This is like if you shot on someone's keeper after an offside call and then decided you're the one to start the fight. You're going to go beat them up. Initiative. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the American way, baby. <laughs> Gosh, I... The... That is amazing. Like, I know you want to fight, so I'm just going to get that out of the way on the front end. <laughs> Stay ready so I don't have to get ready. Yeah, ex- precisely. That is that is the goal. Let me – I want to look up, make sure I'm not getting anything wrong about this, but that was my understanding of the fight. I just saw a fight, and I'm like, cool, fight. And that's all I, all I noticed. And then circling back to something you mentioned earlier uh, – about how Iowa has a speedway. I looked it up just seeing if that was an offhand comment, and they actually do. Yeah, it's right next to where Nikki lives. Wow. Like, I I wouldn't go to a NASCAR race if we had a speedway here, but, like, I'm upset that Iowa has one and we don't. Same with Kansas. Like... (laughs) I think, weirdly, I, I don't know what it is, but... Nebraska feels like a place that would be very apt for motorsport. Like, like we have small racetracks and stuff. And they're super popular for small racetracks. And I honestly wonder if having highly popular, like, sprint tracks and stuff like that makes it harder for, like, bigger stock car series to come here. Because the racing that is established is a little less centralized. But if we had one big raceway in the state like Iowa does, mm. that would because Iowa has one track. It's it's a fairly nice track. It's also in the middle of nowheresville. It's not that far from the casinos, but it is pretty far from the casinos. It's like an hour hour two drive. It is strange to me, but also think about all of the other sports that like Nebraska. Feels like a place it should be in on that it isn't. Yeah. Another thing I was just thinking of, uh, Iowa has like an NBA G League team. <laughs> like. Yeah. Why, why them? Hell, Sioux Falls has one. The Miami Heat's feeder team is in Sioux Falls. I did not know that. That's awesome. <laughs> I, can I, I think it's time. We're having a very, very like off the off the walls podcast already. Uh, at some point today, I want to be the Grinch about something baseball related. The World Series is upon us. Neither me nor Justin are like invested in the teams. No, I, I, I would not affiliate if Bryce Harper won a World Series because. Yeah, he deserves it. Man deserves it. Man deserves it. But other than that, I have no interest in seeing how any of these games play out. Right. Uh, except also Astros suck. Yeah. But also, like, 
they're they're so far removed from the from the reason everyone hates them. That doesn't mean I'm going to stop hating them for that reason, but it's like they're just like a legitimately good team now, and that's not as fun to hate. Like they're just like legitimately the baseball powerhouse of the decade, and we just have to live with that. And I hate it. Yeah, I will say that like a big part of what built them into today are the years that they were cheating. Uh, but this is true of both of our teams. Yeah. Right? Like, you don't get the... You probably don't get the Yankees ever to be as good without the use of steroids. Right? Uh, smarter about the way they use steroids than other teams. I... I guess the tail end of the Royd era, maybe, but, like, if we're talking, like, the the 50s and stuff, back when all medicine was legal, it was, you know... I think the, the, um... I guess, but the steroid era isn't really associated with the Yankees. No, without A-Rod, do the Yankees keep the staying power through this century that they do? Um, maybe? Like... (laughs) Yeah. Baseball, I think just as a whole, you know, really aside from the Astros and the Red Sox and the Dodgers and the other AL East teams, I have no real negative feelings towards anybody there. Of all the sports I care about and follow, it is the one I care about the least outside of my team. Yeah, that's fair. I feel similarly. Yeah. So, I have positive associations with the Red Sox and the Cubs. I have negative associations with the Yankees. A little bit with the Cardinals, honestly, for both teams. Just because Cardinals fans hate Red Sox fans so much. Like, if you run into a St. Louis Cardinals fan, and you're me, and you tell them, hey, I am both a Red Sox fan and a Cubs fan, I am public enemy number one in St. Louis. There are, like, literally... Pictures of people like me on walls there with like reward bounties. I'm sure of it. Uh, so, so it's hard not to feel animosity towards them. I honestly like the Dodgers because I like Mookie. And oh, yeah. for a long time I was mad, but I just want my boy to be happy. Um, I hate the Angels simply because I, I don't like to watch things go to waste. I, <laughs> I I do think the Angels are, like, the most frustrating team in the MLB, but, like, the sports sicko in me loves them because yeah. I, I love a team that's on brand. And, like, with, without the Tungsten Armo Doyle tweet, I would not like the Angels as much as I do. But, like, I am actively rooting for Otani and Trout of the games of their life and then lose 6-4 because yeah. that happens one out of every eight games with the Angels. They are on brand. And I appreciate that. Yeah. I think it's crazy. I think it's just like bad business. Um, but at the same time, I think that like, it does make a lot of sense for a place like LA where you have a lot of people who will go to a baseball game, but are not super invested. So what pulls butts into seats and what gets jerseys sold and what gets TV time to generational talents, one still up and coming, one definitely in his, like, slow and steady, but definitely a decline. Yeah. Um, I think if there's anyone I'm frustrated with, the reason that Otani's in L.A. right now makes a lot of sense. If he decides he's happy with that forever, I'm disappointed in him. Yeah, his contract runs one more year, I think, and then it's the open market, which should be wild. I mean, it's got to be... Us or you guys, Dodgers, Dodgers, Braves. I've heard are a sneaky contender. I don't think here's here's my thing. I think Atlanta's a tough city for Shohei Otani to play in, and I think the same is kind of true of Boston. That's why I think that the Yankees or the Dodgers make more sense. Um, I I I don't see how we're very we're an easier team to play for. Like that that just goes. What I was going to say earlier, which is that because I don't care about anyone else really that much besides my team, uh, 
I recognize that the Yankees are very spoiled by keeping their place. Like 24 of the last 28 seasons, they've been in the playoffs. They've made the ALCS three times in the last six years. Any other franchise, that's great. But for us, this is an er- this is an era of abject failure. Yeah. I think the reason if I'm Shohei, I want to be in LA or New York is because I trust that those are easier cities to live in and get around if I don't speak the language super well. Mm-hmm. Then, like, do I trust? Because he, from my understanding, is he uses a series of translators in LA. Um, and that he has roots down there, which is why I moved to the Dodgers to be like, you know what? I am going to be competitive. God damn it. Um, makes more sense. I think that's easier to set up in New York, but I really struggle to see how, like, I think it's harder for someone who primarily speaks Japanese. And I understand he is like learning English and that is admirable and like good for him. If that's something that he wants to do. But I just think that those cities culturally are harder for us. Like, they're also harder places to be a superstar. Um, Because I think Boston fans have a very specific idea of what our superstars should be and look like and who they are. And that is, like, larger than life, affable, drinking a beer at the end of the bar after a game. Like, gonna become a Boston barfly until the end of time. You know, Ted Williams, Nomar, yeah. Big Poppy, those guys make, make sense for Boston with their personalities. Yeah. And Big Poppy, uh, excellent on TV. So good. Like, so good. <laughs> Just a gem. I like, and this isn't even, I think my bias, but A-Rod, very bad on TV. I hate him. What? Well, I don't get why A. Of all the confirmed steroid guys, well, I guess Poppy included in this too, like, but still, of all the people who got backlash for steroids, he's the one who survived it and put on TV for it. Like, this can't be the best we've got. I think it's just because he wants to do it, and people know the name, but he's not good at it. He's not a good ambassador for the game, and that's no. not just because of the roids, it's just because... <laughs> The roids are the most interesting thing about him. I would say the most interesting thing about him is his relationship with Madonna. If you ever really want to brush off the cobwebs on the old TMZ articles there, there is some wild stuff going on. That is not safe for, for podcast material. Uh, but the, the tomfoolery, including a life-size painting of him that he would look at every day to hype himself up that Madonna bought him. Man, the wild stuff. But you mentioned minor league baseball earlier. Uh, and this is mostly coming out of two things. One, I am a grouch. If you have been listening to this podcast at all and you haven't learned that by now, I'm, I, I worry for you. Uh, things that are objectively good and wholesome make me angry. Uh, and I, I, I will never truly be able to explain why. Uh, two, I am chronically, chronically, chronically on TikTok right oh. now. Uh, I, I, I wish I could break my dependency, but it's not going well. So all of this is to say that I abhor the Savannah Bananas. Whoa. They make me so mad. Whoa. So mad. This was not where you thought this was going, huh? No. Oh my god. Why? Why do I hate the Savannah? Bananas? I get not liking them. That shtick doesn't work for everybody. Even me. I will, I won't watch a video of theirs for more than a minute when the bit is done. But like, I don't see what's there to hate. To, to like have a fervor of this, I, I, I get this interest plenty. I don't see what there is to fervently dislike because this team is at the lowest of low for minor league baseball. It's, it's literally a sideshow act that uses baseball as a medium to deliver said sideshow. So I have no problem with sports as sideshow. 
I am a massive, massive, massive fan of like we have had long conversations about dunk competitions. Mm-hmm. I like it when like I even like it when like Tiger and Phil go on pay per view and play each other and it's stupid and everyone has a good time and Tom Brady's there. And like I like sports with circus surrounding them. I don't know how you could watch that without F one. But here's here's the thing. I also here's the the best one to one comparison in any sport is the Harlem Globetrotters, right? Yeah. I like the Harlem Globetrotters. Do you know why I like the Harlem Globetrotters? Because they're not a basketball team. And they know they're not a basketball team. Now, I also find the Harlem Globetrotters, A, more, like, fun to watch. Like, they are much more entertaining because they're not just doing bits. They're actually doing an athletic feat. Two... I like the Harlem Globetrotters because the only people whose day they're ruining is the Washington Generals. If a made-up team full of guys who signed up to do that. If I was a minor league baseball player and I'm already at the bottom tier and I'm just trying to, like, enjoy my baseball, take it seriously as long as I can, I'd probably work in, like, construction or some the rest of the time this is the best years of my life this is the best part of the best years of my life and I show up and some kid who got a spot on this team because he's famous on TikTok for reviewing stadium food for the MLB and complaining about how he wasn't good enough to make the big leagues for real if that kid is wearing a bright yellow jumpsuit uniform and eats nachos off of a tray being handed to him by the friggin' umpire as he walks into the batter's box. The aneurysm I would have if I had to play that and I was a serious athlete. Then play in one of, like, the six other independent minor baseball leagues. Uh, This is probably not a choice you get to make if you are this caliber of player. Okay. First of all, uh, give up at that point? Like, oh yeah, I mean that—that's reasonable. Like, it's—it's uh, it's harsh, but like, if you're upset that uh the best option available to you is sideshow baseball, I've got news to you about your baseball abilities. Number yeah. two, I may be misunderstanding the Savannah Bananas, but like, don't they always play the party animals? No, I don't think so. Oh, I could have oh, sworn. If, if I'm wrong, then we have to kill this bit. Because my understanding was they're playing different teams every time. No, I, I, I think they started out like that, but then they switched to more globe charter model of a let's just play these the party animals every time. Here we go. Let's go on Wikipedia. Until 2022. Yep. Okay. I am less mad. I am still mad for what they have done in the past. But I am less mad. I just think it's dumb. I think it's stupid. I think it makes people look bad. Like, I don't know. Maybe I find baseball sacred in some way that, like, is is, is admittedly BS. They just annoy me. And I've also tried to, like, block their content 20 times, and I keep getting shown it. Because <laughs> they're like, do you like baseball? You probably like this dumb shit. And I'm like, this isn't baseball. Even as a very infrequent consumer of banana content, I've probably consumed more banana highlights than all but, like, three MLB teams. So, yeah, it's just, it's sort of, it's sort of omnipresent right now. I yeah, but probably... that's my main concern with the bananas is that they're gonna have they're gonna run out of bits eventually. Like the medium of a basketball game with its free flowing nature and you know open feats of athleticism on every single play is much easier for clowning around than baseball, where they've already done batter on stilts, they've already done bat that's on fire. I, where else do you go? What, what other jokes are there? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's, 
I think you're absolutely right about that. Like the Globetrotters can take literally a split second to do a bit, do an incredible dunk and get back to making it seem like a game. Mm -hmm. The bananas are just turning into bad standup concerningly quickly. Yep. Yeah. I give it five years before they fold. Oh, please. Sooner than that. Sooner than that. All right. Wacky Savannah banana rant over. Uh, I just needed to, this is, this is my sports therapy and I needed to get this off my chest. So yeah. Um, what else? Is there anything else baseball related we need to talk about? No, I think we've covered all our bases there. Oh, he's a comedic genius, ladies and gentlemen. Excellent work. Excellent work. All right. Where do we go from here? (laughs) Well, we have six minutes remaining on this meeting. So I think whatever random crap we have, we get out now, then reserve part two for for whatever Huskers we have, and then call it a day. I like that. I can't believe this took that long. That is... How did we get here from Ross Chastain? Yeah, that's true. I don't... Well, we we started talking... How did we get from NASCAR to baseball? Well, we got on NASCAR because I made a car analogy only because... Iowa is how we got there. Oh, Iowa. Yeah, because Iowa... They got some cool stuff sports-wise there. This is a perfect segue to make fun of Kirk Kirk Ferentz and his son. What is happening there? What's happening is they just scored 33 points against Northwestern. So they're peaking at the right time. (laughs) (laughs) God, yeah, I guess it's all fixed. Look at them. Way to get your stuff together. Okay, I do not know if you have heard this, but uh, I'm going to read to you a Brian Ferentz quote. Okay. There's, There's two options in life in any situation. You can surrender, and if you surrender, I think the results are pretty much guaranteed. Or you can dig in, you can continue to fight, and you can try to improve and do things better. I will always choose option A. Done it in my personal life. (laughs) Done it in my professional life. I wouldn't be able to go home, look my children in the eye, if I wasn't an option B person. I think I said option A. I started with option surrender, right? Wow. Holy, first of all, homeboy, it's not that deep. <laughs> like, I get, football is important to a lot of people. Uh, it is an intense sport. People treat it like war. People treat it like, you know, it's the most important thing ever to happen. Whatever you think of that, uh, it's not Lord of the Goddamn Rings. <laughs> like, there's no reason to give, oh my god. It's just embarrassing. I feel bad for everyone involved. Cause we used to look at each other and say, you know what, we don't like Iowa. But you kinda gotta respect what Kirk Ferentz has done there. Uh, he's, he's not there like Osborne, right? He's not that level. And the people who will say that make me angry. Because Iowans have a complete misunderstanding of what good football actually looks like. Um. But, holy God, man, that's painful. That, that makes me sad. That's like literally a scene from The Office of... It it feels like a, like a, like a George Bush, George, George W. Bush quote. There we go. underestimated us. I will, I will always choose option B. Do we think that they need like family therapy or something? Do we, is that the issue? Is there like trauma at play or like psychological? This is interesting because growing up with your dad as a football coach has to be a very atypical upbringing. When Uh, not even atypical, just bad. Yeah. This is not to say that all football coaches are are bad fathers, but. It's just saying that the the lifestyle you have to live to being a football coach is like, I don't see how you have time for the duties of being a good father. And I'm not saying that I think that, like, football coaches should have to take, like, monastic vows or anything. 
Like, that's unreasonable, too. But this is just... Oh. Yeah, this is... Like, because you have to... Because, like, Kirk Ferentz has got special teams and defense down to an exact science. This man knows more about punt return coverage than we ever will about anything in our lives. Yep. Yep. This is another thing that's neither here nor nor there. And I know I'm not in the position where I should be speaking on this, but, like, do you ever just look at football coaches and be like, how do these guys have wives? You know, after a couple of the Scott headlines, that's a question I did kind of ask myself. Like, because I don't think Scott is probably, like, way outside the norm of behavior for football coaches, right? Um, Or not even just behavior-wise, just in, like, these are some of the weirdest individuals who exist-wise. Yeah, I mean, that is interesting. It does seem to pull, like, strange guys to the profession. It does. Speaking of which... We play PJ Fleck this week. All right. Well, we better wrap up. Is there, I mean, I guess we'll see you all after this Michigan or this, um, Minnesota game. Minnesota game. Even though I don't know what, what, what what's going to change given what we said. Like if it's, I think this will just be a repeat of 2019 Minnesota where a frost shoved out Noah Vedral to lead an obviously unmotivated offense without its leader who did the best it could, but which was nothing without Adrian. I think it's going to be much of the same against Minnesota, where it's go- they're likely going to kill us and we're going to learn nothing. This would be the kind of game where, if you are concerned about the on-field product, the coach X factor is your only edge. If Mickey has an X factor, if Mickey has intangibles that we haven't quite seen come to fruition yet, which is a big part of the argument behind him, that's when we see it.